And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Earth Destruction Directive podcast. As always, I am your host, Luke Giaconetti. I want to thank everybody for downloading and tuning in today. Hope everyone enjoyed our last episode where we took a look at a couple of episodes of the original Ultraman series as well as an issue of uh, Marvel Comics Shogun Warriors. We've got a real treat for you tonight, and I mean treat in every sense of the word, as I would like to take this opportunity to introduce my guest, and my, he is known throughout the internets as my Maasai tracker and my friend, Dr. Bill Robinson. Boonda. <laughs> How are you doing tonight, Dr. Bill? Oh, I'm doing good. Uh, very, very good. Thank you for ha- having me on. This was uh, quite a trip down memory lane because it was one of those movies to where I wasn't... Until you had brought it up, it's one of those things to where, you know, I think I saw this movie and I'm not quite sure I really did see it <laughs> as a child because it came out back in, what, 1977? 1977, yeah. Yeah, so I was... Uh, I saw it on TV, and yeah, I was about, I would have been, carry the one. You know. Well, you know, I don't know how old I was, because I can't figure out my kid's age. <laughs> so how am I supposed to figure out how old I was then? I think I would have been eight, close to eight years old. Yeah. So, yeah. But we'll get more and, into the movie later. Well, for those, and for those who haven't guessed from the episode art or, um, you know, the Bunta, uh, we are taking a look at uh, the lo- the last dinosaur which uh, is, as uh, Dr. Bill said, from 1977. And this is a film that uh, you said you saw on TV as a kid. My God, I saw this film on TV as a kid. This was one of the uh, the small circle of films that TBS seemingly aired in constant rotation on Saturdays, uh, mm, along with uh, okay. Frogs and the Green Slime. So I, that's the first time I saw this was on TBS. And I've and I've seen it. I saw it numerous times, at least in bits and pieces, on TBS over the years. So this yeah. has always held kind of a strange place in my heart. I don't think I saw this. I think I saw it the first time it came on, not on later on the Superstation, because yeah. it, it also was paired up which uh, with there was another film that was done about the same time, the Bermuda Depths. Bermuda Depths was also a Rankin Bass. That's right. Yeah, yes. Yeah, that's those are the two films that I was like. Did I really see those? And until this research, and, and <laughs> I was like, wow, I really did see those. And Carl Weathers was in that other movie. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, Dr. Bill, tell me, do you have a... Um, I, I asked this of all my guests, so what's your origin as far as giant monsters are concerned? Uh, for me, and um, I think one of the earliest giant monster movies that I remember other than The Last Dinosaur, because because like I said, I, I, I saw that on TV when it came out, so that's 77. I remember seeing or prior to that, I would have seen Ultraman on TV and the 
I can't remember if it's Son of Godzilla or what it is exactly called, but it's the one that cuts between the little boy in the apartment building fighting the crooks. Godzilla's, yeah, Godzilla's Revenge. Oh, okay, that one. That's like that was the first go- the first Godzilla movie I remember seeing because that had the one. What was the mm-hmm. the what was the main creature? Was it? It wasn't a jaguar, was it? It was no, it was Gabara. Gabara, the one that sounds like a cat, has like a cat face. Yep, and he has no tail, and he grabs Big you and he shocks neck. you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, yep. that's it. Yeah, and then it was like the little kid was running from some crooks in his. Yeah, that's that's the first time I remember seeing a monster, a giant monster movie, and then it was yeah. um, it was Ultraman, and I actually early on in your show um, a few years back, I had written in about what I remembered from yes. Ultraman. So that's yes, and then other than um, um, there was also uh, King Kong mm-hmm. that came out uh, when seventy seven or seventy nine. Uh, King Kong was nineteen came out at uh, December of nineteen seventy six. I want to say yes, yeah. So so that's that's kind of my big monster origin stories for when when I first remember and 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 then from there, like I own a copy, I have a. Uh, videotape copy of Godzilla vs. Biollante mm-hmm. that I picked up at a uh, video store. Uh, yeah, we still have those here here in Tampa. Uh, <laughs> which they actually specialize... At, it's been a few years since I've been there, but they will special order stuff, so I could probably get other things I ordered. That was a store where I ordered um, a $30 four-disc uh, CD set for the Final Fantasy VII soundtrack because I love the music so much oh. from, from that game. So I have, and it came from Japan. Everything is in Japanese, and you know, but it, I just love cool. the music from the game. So, yeah, uh, oh yeah. But uh, I should go back there to see if they got a- any more good good stuff on the shelves. Oh yeah, I love those import stores like that. I I mm-hmm. remember going to one of those in um, in the the Dallas. Oh, uh, it, it was in Plano. So it was a point down that area in Texas, in the Plano area, uh, mm-hmm. a couple of, back around the turn of the century, around 2000 and 2001, and just finding all sorts of just, you know, just neat crap, you know? You got to love the neat crap, especially when you're interested, when, you know, whether you're a tokusatsu fan or an anime fan or whatever, and you're interested in uh, stuff from, from the East, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So... We're going to take a, uh, a quick break here. We're going to plug a couple of podcast promos, maybe one that, that features my guest. Ooh. And, uh, you know, it's uh, just just a little tease there. And um, so we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back to talk about The Last Dinosaur here on Earth Destruction Directive. Hey, Paul, what's up? Ah, not much. What's going on? I'm, I'm just a little confused lately. I yeah, What else is new? Well, you know... M- more than usual, I try to go to get the shows that we just put up, and I was having problems finding them. Well, we have trouble finding. Well, I couldn't find Back to the Bins. I couldn't find Avengers Spotlight. Of course, you can only find those when I actually edit them. <clears throat> and um, <laughs> oh, you took the words you know, right out of my mouth. They're on the feed, Bill. Yeah, I know. That's where I went. I went to the feed, but they weren't there. You no, know, you got to go to the feed. You got to go to the Back to the Bins feed. The Back to the Bins feed. What's yeah, that? Back to the Bins feed. You got to go to iTunes. You look for look up back to the bins, and you subscribe to the back to the bins feed. But I went to Two True Freaks. Yeah, we're on that feed too. What? Where? On the feed. Okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So you're saying that we're on? 
All right. So if I wanted to go find the shows that we've done, I'm going to go on to iTunes and I'm going to click on Back to the Bins and I'll find Back to the Bins and Avengers Spotlight in the feed. Exactly. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Bill, you go to the feed. You subscribe to the show. You subscribe to whichever show you want. And then you get it. It's that simple. You just got to go to the feed. What show do I want? Back to the Bins. Where? An Avengers Spotlight. Oh, I'm so confused. They're on iTunes. They're on what? TwoTrueFreaks.com. You want them, uh, you get them. They're you all got there them? For you. All the uh, shows are there. They're still all available, Bill. All right, on the so... Feed. The feed. If you say feed one more time, I'm going to break your arm. Uh, Scott, could you tell him... Hey, man, don't, don't drag me into this, because... Uh... It's no skin off my ass. I'm on all the feeds. <laughs> Bastard. And we're back here on Earth Destruction Directive. So our movie this time out is The Last Dinosaur. The Last Dinosaur initially aired on February 11th, 1977 on uh, ABC here in the United States. I would think it was either, like, uh, I guess April 11th, I think was a, or February 11th was a Saturday, so it might have been the Saturday night movie on ABC. Hmm. <laughs> A yep, long time ago, right? <laughs> uh, yep, the film... James Bond movies were always on ABC as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the film would go on to be released theatrically in Japan in uh, September, on September 15, 1977, under the title of Kyokutai Tankensen Pora Bora, which translates to Expedition Under the Pole, Polar Borer. And the film was, of course, a co-production between Rankin Bass in the United States, best known for all of their um, Christmas specials, like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman, The Year Without a Santa Claus, uh, but also known to Daikaiju fans as the outfit who brought King Kong to the equation in King Kong Escapes. And uh, the and it was a co-production between Rankin Bass and Subaraya in Japan. Subaraya, of course, uh, edgy Subaraya's uh, film and TV production company that produced Ultraman and countless you know, Mighty Jack and many other shows uh, over the years in the uh, 60s and 70s and into today. Even they're still doing Ultraman now. So our story begins with Mastin Thrust, the richest man in the world and a legendary big game hunter when he arrives in Japan for a major press conference. His company has been using laser drill tanks called polar borers to successfully drill for oil under the polar ice caps. But the last expedition, a routine mission by Polar Borer 5, discovered a strange tropical world hidden in the Antarctic. Only one man, geologist and all-around know-it-all Chuck Wade survived. The other four members of the crew were devoured by a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Thrust has now organized a new mission to return to this hidden tropical jungle to study and observe the prehistoric beast. Joining him will be Chuck, reporter and soon after the press conference current girlfriend, Francesco Frankie Banks, scientist and token Japanese character Dr. Kawamoto, and Thrust's longtime Maasai tracker and companion, Bunta. The five are launched into the ocean in Polar Borer and soon find themselves in the lush, steamy jungle, complete with pterodactyls swooping overhead. After a near miss with a ceratopsian dinosaur, they quickly find the trail of the T-Rex, with Mastin bringing along a rifle in case of trouble. In trouble there is as the T-Rex advances on them, Mastin's shots having no effect and his gun jamming, being abandoned as they flee. 
The T-Rex is pretty smart, though, as he manages to beat the party back to their camp, where he stomps Dr. Kawamoto and then takes the polar borer and tosses it into his boneyard. This rouses a sleeping Triceratops, and the two Mesozoic rivals battle fiercely with the T-Rex coming out the winner. Their camp destroyed, the remaining crew are forced to salvage what they can and move inland. Some time has passed, and the crew is battling against a tribe of total <coughs> humans over the game they have hunted. Mastin has a plan, though, and builds a crossbow out of a salvaged piece of spring steel. The weapon scares the primitives away, and the crew finds themselves adjusting to life, such as it is, with Frankie even trying to domesticate a primitive girl whom they name Hazel. But the T-Rex continues to hound them, chasing Frankie into a cave. Mastin quickly devises a way to save her, by tying a giant boulder to the dinosaur's tail and rolling it down a steep hill. I swear I'm not making this up. The hunter is able to drag the beast away. This also puts the group into a small valley, a perfect spot to ambush and finally kill the T-Rex. And how do you kill a T-Rex? With a catapult built out of trees and vines, of course. Chuck's clashes with Mastin become more frequent, both over Mastin's obsession with killing the T-Rex and their competition for Frankie's affection. After storming out of camp one day, Chuck finds Polar Borer in the boneyard, battered but still salvageable. Ecstatic, he runs to camp, telling the others they can leave, but Mastin is not interested. Frankie begs him to come, but he tells them both to get out of his camp, then yells at Hazel to leave as well. It takes a few days for Chuck to get Polar Borer operational, and in the meantime, Bunta is caught by the T-Rex and killed. When Polar Borer is finally ready, Frankie demands they go back for Mastin. Chuck eventually acquiesces, and Frankie pleads with Mastin to come. Mastin counters, saying that the outside <coughs> world is full of confusion and frustration, and that life is simpler and purer here. Frankie says she will go anywhere in the world and be with Mastin, just not here. Their moment is interrupted by the arrival of the T-Rex, who walks right into the trap, taking a giant boulder missile right in his rubbery noggin. The dinosaur is stunned but not killed, and smashes the camp to bits while Mastin and Frankie take cover. As Chuck preps Polar Borer, Frankie pleads with Mastin one last time, saying that he has to let his obsession with the T-Rex go, that the dinosaur is the last one. Mastin simply replies, so am I. As the polar borer submerges back under the surface of the ocean, Mastin heads off into the jungle, Hazel hovering nearby, as the T-Rex roars his defiance off in the distance. And cue awesome theme song. The last dinosaur. Sung by jazz singer Nancy Wilson. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of names that you recognize in this, at least at the top of the bill, and then we quickly devolve into uh, <laughs> perhaps not quite as, as well known. Also, what's funny is that uh, that title song, um, the it was uh, it was written it was written by Maury Laws, uh, who did oh, excuse me, Maury Laws did the um, did the did all the music as he did for all of Rankin Bass's Christmas specials, and the lyrics were by Jules Bass, as was all the lyrics in all the Christmas specials. So, you know, they, they knew where their, what side their bread was buttered on with that. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that, just just starting with the song, it's so, uh, that's one of the things that stuck in my head for years was the song, just because it's, it's just simple, but it's so, and it, it's, it's much sadder at the end of the movie, you know, when, mm-hmm. when, when you see that, 
you know, which truly is the last dinosaur, Boone? Well, I keep saying Boone, that's the actor, but Thrust or the T-Rex, you know, because he's, yeah. he, he doesn't want to go back to the real world. I mean, he's, because he's conquered the real world. There's no more challenges. That's the whole reason he came here was to hunt this dinosaur. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I like Mastin Thrust quite a lot. He is the most interesting man in the world. I think that <laughs> yeah, is pretty yes. obvious. But he's the most interesting man in the world, as you said, played by Richard Boone. So he yells a lot of things, you know? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I was wondering which, you know, which was, was he really playing a character? <laughs> or was he playing himself? Or yeah. was he playing himself? Yeah, I mean, especially right, right at the beginning, and I, I didn't put this in the uh, in the summary, but at the beginning when he's flying out to Japan, the movie starts with him um, romancing some girl he found in Portland. Portland? <laughs> Port- and, yeah, uh, that's a quote from the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a ticket I'm- back to wherever, wherever I found you and a token of my appreciation. And she goes, yeah. well, I was in Portland. And he goes, Portland? <laughs> like he doesn't even remember being there. Yeah. <laughs> But, but what's funny in that scene, though, is, you know, she, he's showing footage of all the, the big game he's hunted, and, you know, she's not interested, and then, uh, you know, the, she starts coming on to him. He goes, uh, he, he goes right in there on her, you know? And it's like, this is, this mm-hmm. is a, a kid's kind of, kid's movie here that aired on P, you know, on ABC on Saturday night. That's a little, uh, a little audacious by Boone there, but you gotta applaud the, you know, fortune favors the bold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But um, you know, it, it's it's interesting about this film is that, um, like like you were saying, with the the song kind of lays it all out. You know, the it's it's I've seen it a bunch of times online. I said, oh well, the title is wrong because there's a bunch of dinosaurs. It's like, it if you listen to the song, it the it's clearly the last dinosaur is like you say. It, it does it mean the T Rex, the last of the great hunters of uh, of the prehistoric age, or is it Mast and Thrust, the last great white hunter? Of the modern age, you know, well, modern seventies, anyway. Yeah, but <laughs> because because the credit sequence is done over uh, uh, is done with the song playing, and it's the the woman that he's been ro- romancing, and as you find out, he's actually they're actually on a plane flying to this press conference, but it looks like a a living room or something because there's there's a all the stuffed heads on the wall and everything, and and uh, he finally gets kind of disgusted. At a fireplace. A f- that's right. There was a fireplace <laughs> on a plane. <laughs> so, um, he finally decides to go up and talk to the pilot. Then you figure out, oh, he's actually on, on a plane. And she sits yeah. and reads through the uh, zebra skin covered scrapbook. Yeah, and that's basically like an early uh, shot of Richard Boone as a younger actor. Is <laughs> the first yeah. picture. I always love that trope when we get a picture. Here, here's here's our star when he was younger. It's like, oh. <laughs> It's always great to see that, you know. Yeah, and then and then as she flips through, there's there's all you know. It's it, it it basically tells his whole life, and basically he you know, their first home was like a mansion, you know. So he was born into money. Yeah, he's been a hunter all his life. He'd been in the war in in World War Two, etc., etc. And basically, he's got no more no more animals to hunt, no more fields to conquer. So he's yeah. he's kind of you know and and. Conquering women doesn't seem to be much of a uh, game to him either. Well, yeah, and then, well, did you want to mention the bullet? <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. You you, you can see that, you know, like a, we, we think of it kind of as a modern trope of the, um, the um, I don't know, what do they call them? The, uh, um, the, 
I can't even think of what the term is. The, the oh, the the porn, the um, the pornosexual. You know, the, the the man that's so obsessed with his his appearance and you know being buff and being at the gym and betting as many women as possible, and that they have the you know the mm-hmm. real smooth guys have the you know the uh, the morning you know the the morning after kit with mm-hmm. the you know the toothbrush and uh, all this the stuff for them to freshen up. He was you know Maston Thrust was pulling this back in the seventies with a plane ticket anywhere. And a token of my uh, uh, appreciation of her time, and it's a a solid gold bullet. And what is the question that's that's asked? Well, <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this? And the answer? Would you like to give the answer? Well, when times get really tough, you can bite it. <laughs> and she's just left standing there, stunned. What? <laughs> I, I, I guess yeah. we ha- have to say she's say also holding a small dog too. She, yes, <laughs> she's holding this little tiny mutt this whole time too. <laughs> Another thing we thought was a modern invention, but um, you know, but the the, the thing that always um, that I, I like about that reveal of them being on the plane in that first scene is that you can tell right away that this is a uh, a Subaraya co-production because if yeah, this you was, can tell let's that say that's... this was. Well, let's say this was Rankin Bass doing this on their own with an American uh, effects company, okay? They would cut to the outside of the plane, and it would be a stock footage plane. But in mm-hmm. a Subaraya film, oh, no, that's a miniature. That's right, <laughs> like, yeah. I, I picked that up. I was like, oh, yeah, you can tell that that's not a real plane. Well, I mean, well, you know what I mean. So. Yeah, but, I mean, it, it's 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 a, it's a pretty – it's a decent effect. I mean, it, it's – the thing about this is that the, the kind of running theme with the effects here is that I think – the suits and the models are are well designed. It's just they don't move real well. And I think part of that was, you know, the budget and being shot on a, a TV um, aspect. Uh, well, it's, it was shot widescreen, but being shot on like TV style stock instead of some nicer film stock. I think that kind of mm-hmm. you know it it, it it hurts it a little bit because I think like the you know the um, the two pieces of technology we get, which are the 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 jet, which is just um, it, it's a seven forty seven. It says thrust on the side of it. No and sexual then, connotation there. None whatsoever. And then Polar Borer <laughs> are both neat-looking pieces. They're, they're good-looking models, but they're inconsistent. You know, Polar Borer changes size depending on whether it's the model or the full-size mock-up or the set where they're inside of it. Every shot it's in, it looks a little bit different. So, <laughs> yeah. Plus, plus they really. Ca- I think the dinosaurs look a little different, uh, especially the T Rex. Sometimes the scale is 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 really off. But yeah, I mean, the, but that's minor. This still, still a good flick. That's the thing, though. The you know, like I said, the the T Rex is a great example. If you take a, I mean, I I think what Subaraya tried to do was to make a a scientifically accurate looking, as far as we knew in 1977, Tyrannosaurus. You know, he doesn't have. He's got the little arms. He's got the really big head. You know, his body shape. It's a it's a head that's like you know hollow and made of rubber, but it's you know. <laughs> He does. He does have little arms, man. Yeah. I mean, he's really got little arms. The first, did, <laughs> the first time, time you see around. him, it's I, like, I love the. the... <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but but they, they, I when he's not, you know, when he's when he's standing still or when he's you know not moving a lot, he looks really good. It's just that when he starts moving, you can see that the the technology for the actual doesn't match the design of the suit, you know, because it bends in kind of weird places. 
it flops around in his midsection but i think it's a nice looking uh design and frankly the one that that gets a lot of grief is one my pardon for my favorite scene in the movie which is the fight with the triceratops oh i was gonna say that actually is kind of like a one of the good ones yeah, well, he's he, he he. I mean, he looks really good, but he's got but he's he's played like a pantomime horse, you know. Yeah, it's, it's two yeah. guys in there, so he looks a. Then you can see it's like, oh my god, that's two dudes bending over in a triceratops suit. There's a joke somewhere in that. <laughs> I'm not sure what that, the joke is, but it's in there. But that was a brutal. That was a brutal fight, though. Oh the, yeah, the, I mean, you, I mean that that's to me that's always like the classic rivalry: Tyrannosaurus Rex and Triceratops. You know. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen that the this movie done by um, MST3K. Oh yeah, they they'd have, they'd have destroyed this movie. <laughs> but that but the Triceratops, besides like I said, being the pantomime horse, like you say, it's 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 a really well designed, realistic looking Triceratops. It's not a monster Triceratops. It's trying to be a dinosaur. You know. I thought the Triceratops was kind of like uh, he he was the Hey Kool Aid dinosaur. <laughs> Because because the T Rex brings the polar bear back, and, or no, he doesn't have the polar bear yet. But he's doing something. No, he does. Yeah, you know, oh. he, he throws the pole into oh, the boneyard, right. and, and yeah. he's he's trying to push it under something, and he's bumping into the rocks. And when he does, there's there's an eye that opens up, and apparently the Triceratops was buried inside the mountain because I, then he I just guess, he just yeah. smashes out out the wall. You know, hey Kool Aid, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's yeah. It's it is it is a little. That's a little suspect. But you know, yeah. if if that's the only the, scientific uh, inaccuracy in the movie. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, and and the T Rex is kind of. Uh, I don't want to say. I don't want to say he was pulling a real dick move, but at the end, <laughs> when he just kind of steps on him and just yeah. rakes his claws across him, and all the blood wells up, yeah. I'm just like, man, you are just an ah, oh, what a jerk. <laughs> You got him. He's uh, down. You ripped his throat out, but no. Now you're gonna stick him with your foot and go. Mm, <laughs> that's my mark on you. It is live. kind of a novel way for a tri- for a. It's kind of a novel way for a T Rex to to kill another dinosaur, though. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen that in another movie. Usually, they just Jurassic Park it in there, you know, and go biting things in half and all that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the uh, the tri- the pterodactyls in this film look like they were borrowed from the Land That Time Forgot. Do you remember that film? Oh yeah. Uh, they have the same wings and they kind of fly in the same circles. So, <laughs> yeah, they look they look like a like a low flying plane. It's like, yeah. oh my god! <laughs> it's funny because you know that this this film to me always kind of falls in with those other seventies uh, dinosaur films, um, Land the Time Forgot and the People the Time Forgot, of course. Um, uh, when dinosaurs ruled the earth is which is a prehistoric movie, but still a dinosaur movie. Um, Irwin Allen's The Lost World, you know, um, a little bit earlier, what you know, the Hammer from One Million Years BC. There was a decent amount of these. Uh, plus, you can throw in like at at the Earth's core, you know, the other uh, the other, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know those, and they, they that that used the same type of um, you know man in a suit technique for a lot of their stuff and they all were in color you know and they had a cast where you might you probably recognize most of the cast or kind of thing you know uh so that they, they all kind of they, they make a nice milieu but to me i i like this one better than especially like you know, land the time forgot and at the earth's core because while those are those are neat and all that i think that the story in this one actually i think holds up pretty well 
because it's it's an original story. It's not obviously an adaptation, but for something that's kind of based on a pun, it's actually a pretty clever story. Mm-hmm. Well, this whole area is what it's like a. Well, nowadays, I don't know if this would hold water with as much mapping we have of the Earth that you would have this valley that you couldn't find. But, uh, but, but back at this time, this actually holds up. You know that yeah. they just find it by going under the ice caps and popping up into an area that's heated by a super, by a by a volcano. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's no different than like Pellucidar or. You know uh, the Lost World. You know the Lost World itself, or Skull Island. I mean, a fantastical setting. You know, for these types mm-hmm. of uh, you know adventure stories with this prehistoric monster element, you need that fantastical setting. You know the uh, whether it's you know. Well, um, well Marvel ha- has that now. I mean, they've ha- had that for a long time with, with the Savage Land. You know, they have uh, Savage Land. Yeah, and yeah. and indeed, you know, and then um, a similarly, uh, you know, Scartaris over at DC with the Warlord. You know, sections of Scartorus had dinosaurs and monsters in it, and that was that's kind of a hollow earth thing rather than a hidden in the Antarctic. But right. you got to Scartorus by going through uh, a, a hole in the ice cap. So, right, I think it's 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 kind of you know yeah it's it's a it's a trope, but it's a, there's a reason why that trope works because it's a good way to get you in some strange and mysterious place where we you know that we can't go there we the audience. So we're reasonably willing to accept that. Sure, there are rubber-headed dinosaurs hanging out there, mm-hmm. and I, you know we, I keep saying it. The, it, the catapult <laughs> scene <laughs> it bears that it, that it bears just, some discussion. <laughs> there is two scenes that I, I would have loved to have put my own sound effects in. The first one that comes to mind is the boulder tied to the okay. What, what the hell were those vines made out of? Well, they, you'll notice he specifically says, Bunta, get me 200 feet of strong vines. Not the weak <laughs> vines, not the weak but vines. the strong ones. <laughs> because even I forgot that. I forgot completely, like, why? What, what's the big deal that they tied the boulder to his tail? I, you know, is, is that going to slow him down? And then it rolls down the hill. The dinosaur watches it go by him. Ba-doop, 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 ba-doop. <laughs> And then the, the the vine's going, and all of a sudden his tail whips around and he's pulled off his feet and drugged down the hill. And as soon as that happened, I so badly, or I actually said it out loud, I did the Scott Gardner, <laughs> <laughs> as he's going boom, boom, boom down the hill. <laughs> and then the other is when he fires the catapult and the rock, hits him in the head and it just come, you know because it's a big rubber head and it just flattens the head and it pops back up <laughs> I wanted two sound effects I wanted and then Tweety Birds going <laughs> as, the, <laughs> as the T-Rex just falls over <laughs> bonk yeah well, and and uh, and they they were kind enough to put that scene in slow motion so you can really see it <laughs> really <laughs> oh, it, it, oh god Richard Boone just eats up so much scenery even just firing that catapult yeah well that then and and the thing is it's richard boone you know i mean i I know him primarily from like his western work and stuff you know he was like he was always paired up um well he was he did the tv show uh was that have gun will travel and then he was in one with john wayne yeah he was in yeah he was in have gun will travel was the one he was mostly known for for his tv but you know he did um but he, I mean, he was in tons of stuff. He was on, uh, 
It had its own variety really? show for a while. Yeah, called the Richard Boone Show. You know, um, mm. <laughs> uh, he did he, he did a bunch <laughs> of movies with, um, or at least several movies with with John Wayne. You know, he played a bad guy a lot. You know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, the one I think I, I remember is uh, he was in uh, with John Wayne was Big Jake, to where he Big had Jake, ki- yeah, he had kidnapped uh, Big Jake's grandson, mm-hmm. like his his gang or whatever. And uh, you know, so he he was always he seemed to play the heavy. But so so here, I mean, he's not. Maston is is an interesting character because he's definitely the protagonist, but he's not net really a good guy. You know, no. He 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 does things to put his party in jeopardy. He um, you know he's oh. he's kind of a sexist bastard. You know, um, he's a womanizer. He's. Uh, you know, he he completely lies to his crew about how he's not gonna. You know, he's not gonna try and shoot <laughs> yeah, the dinosaurs. We are only. <laughs> you have my word. We are going to study and catalog this dinosaur. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you're wearing him, a hunting outfit. You no, he's standing there wearing a hunting outfit with a like a cowboy hat like a safari hat on with a leopard skin or a band around the top of it we are not gonna hunt that's that that's like bill clinton going i did not have we will not kill that dinosaur i promise well the, the thing that makes me laugh about it is they get there and they go okay we're gonna go track the tyrannosaurus now so he pulls out the the gun and <laughs> yeah the, why do you have the rifle and he's like oh it's for protection <laughs> bullshit <laughs> well, no, but it's like it's like know-it-all Chuck, who who does nothing pretty much at all of use through most of the film. Okay, um, was it a good you know, idea like, to well, bring? Well, you said there was going to be no the... weapons. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like... Yeah. So we're going to bring the shell-shocked PTSD geologist <laughs> who watched the four other guys from the first expedition get eaten. You know, somehow he made it back, and this guy agrees to go back. I don't, I don't think he's got any other gig, thing. frankly. Yeah, he's pretty dumb. Uh, I guess. But yeah, he did seem to be the the uh, the fountain of knowledge. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, how does he know? Okay, I'm like, he's a geologist. But at one time, I was like, is this guy a botanist? Yeah. Is he a paleontologist? Because he's going on. Yeah. Oh, that plant is the. Su-. I'm like, how do you know this? Yeah. Uh, okay, maybe a geologist would study fossils and and rocks. Would come in, so I'll give you the dinosaur bones. But knowing the exact, you know, style uh, that a plant is, come on, yeah, that's pushing it. <laughs> I mean, if anybody should have said that, it should have been Doctor Ki- uh, Kiwamoto. Doctor Kawamoto. Kawamoto, which uh, he unfor- unfortunately, in a land that's known to have dinosaurs, you bring tents <laughs> to stay in, and you leave the smartest man. Back alone at the camp, yeah, setting up and, his little equipment, and 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 I don't want to go there, but you get you bring the the Japanese guy and leave him by himself, and you're surprised when he gets stomped by a giant lizard. <laughs> he you does, know? dude. I mean, He's merciless too. He just comes right down. Whomp. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and then and then and then when they come back and thrust us all, a creature. With a brain the size of a pea, has <laughs> killed this, and he just he just takes it way over the top. He's killed one of the smartest men of our century. 
I was glad I was alone in the house because I was just laughing out loud. I was like, oh my but god. But the thing I have to wonder is, oh. is, is was Boone was Boone overacting specifically because this was, you know, partially a Japanese production and, you know, so he was uh, over emoting? I don't know. I don't know because <laughs> this creature it's eats like every... meat. It's a carnivore. It eats us. It's a... <laughs> yeah. Oh, what do you. Okay. When he first has the press conference, there's the one guy and he's like, eh. <laughs> Everybody sit down. Everybody sit down. Every- and then Thrust comes in. <laughs> I don't even know what he said. He's like, <laughs> and he waves his arm up in the air, and, and, and they all sit down. Woof. <laughs> and then he starts. That's, to- that's that's the sound I make when like there's a neighborhood dog in the yard. Yo, get out of here! <laughs> <laughs> And, and, you know, but, uh, or, yeah, and, and again, Chuck's trying to tell his story, and they keep interrupting. <laughs> Let him talk! Yeah, yeah. Shut up! Let him talk! <laughs> oh. <laughs> a little bit like Captain Orion there. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then even the press conference, they were eaten. They were chewed and eaten. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I love how... Um, when he when he when he go eaten by what and he says nobody reacts when he says Tyrannosaurus Rex until he finishes the full line, like nobody interrupts him until he explains the whole thing and they start showing the movie from the Museum of Natural History, which is cool for me because I've yeah. been to that museum a bunch of times because I grew up in New York, you know. But uh, oh okay, it's like Tyrannosaurus Rex, uh huh, uh huh. <gasps> it's that big. It's like <laughs> but even then, they're kind of like they're like it. It seems like they didn't believe him. They're like, well, yeah, okay, right, sure, fine. <laughs> you know, okay, he he just brings one gun? Apparently. You, I mean, and that that gun was a piece of crap. It jammed after it jammed two shots, like, yeah. Well, it jammed once, I think, early on. Then he got a shot off, and then it yeah. jammed again. Finally, he throws it down. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, there's, you know, there, there's, uh, it's, it's one of those, it's just not a very, considering that this is in a, a laser drill, uh, little mole pod thing, the polar, polar bore, which I, I actually kind of dig polar bore. It's pretty mm-hmm. basic looking, but it's neat. Um, but the, uh, you know, that this, this okay, uh, expedition is not really well planned out, you know? <laughs> okay. okay, wait a minute though. Did you notice at, at the, I guess we'll call it polar bore mission control? Yeah. Did you notice the head guy was sitting there with a pipe in his mouth? Yeah. <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> I'm looking at this guy going, well, like, obviously this is before OSHA or before the no smoking policy because this guy's just sitting there with a pipe. Yeah. Mm, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> More prone jokes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> or or if you prefer, like, Raymond Burr and uh, God, yes, I see, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but we haven't touched on uh, Joan Van Ark in this. Joan yeah. Van Ark. Wow, she Best was Best known a... to me for being from Knott's Landing. Yep, me too. God, I had forgot because when you had originally asked me about this movie, I was like, yeah, some blonde woman's in it. I don't remember who. <laughs> and you're like, Joan Van, Joan Van Ark? Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, and she's like, she's just as nutty as uh, Thrust. Yeah, she she's... is because she's all into him. Yeah, and she's talking about how she was a, a she hunts and she had a, a rifle when she was a kid. It's like, where did you find this chick? And how did she go to journalism school? 
didn't think they'd let people own guns into journalism school. <laughs> yeah, she's 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 getting them all. She, yeah, and and the rifle had an octagon barrel, and and uh, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then and then and then and, and then she springs the big whammy on him. Her photos. <laughs> as, <laughs> as as they're laying in bed, she turns on a slide projector and basically blinds him. He's like, ah! <laughs> and behind him on the wall is all these explosions. And and, she, and he's like, you really brought me up here just to show me your photographs? <laughs> because, yeah, because, I mean, the, the, the bit when they first get to um, you know the the jungle, and they they call it a ceratopsy. It doesn't look like any ceratops I've ever seen because it looks more like a like if a um, you know a, I guess a stegosaurus and like a ram had a kid. But anyway, when the dinosaur is charging down at her, and she's taking the pictures, right now, okay, mm-hmm. it, oh, it's yeah. a it's a, a a cute thing with Mastin goes and tackles her out of the way, and they land in the mud, and they're all laughing and all that. But if you watch before that. When okay, so the doctor and Bunta and uh, you know Mastin get out of the way, and Frankie's there taking pictures. When when Chuck runs over, he totally trips over one of the the logs and wipes out completely in the mud. And and you could watch it; you know that wasn't on purpose <laughs> because he's like, Wah! you know, he's like flailing around. <laughs> it's like, I, yes, just because you're you're such a dignified character already. I called that know. first. I called the first dino the, uh, um, actually the Gangwayosaurus, because he was like, coming through, coming through, make a hole, got places to go, excuse me, make way, back out of the way. I said, that's like the guy riding the bike on the walking trail. On your left, on your left, move over. (laughs) Uh, Actually, Uh, what's, uh, it's, um, speaking of, of Chuck, as I said, you know, we got Richard Boone and Joan Van Ark, and then things drop off a little bit, you know. Uh, Chuck, played by Stephen Keats, who's actually an incredibly prolific TV actor. He's been mm-hmm. on lots of shows that Andy Leyland likes to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was on... Uh, um, oh, where's the list here? I just had it. He was on The A-Team. He was oh, yeah. uh, on... If it was on in the 70s and 80s, he was he was on it. He was on Magnum P.I., Miami Vice, Hill Street Blues, T.J. Hooker. Um... Uh, Hardcastle and McCormick. That was the one we made me think of, Andrew Leyland. Simon and Simon, Riptide, uh, Auto Man, Quincy oh, Emmy. <laughs> he was on Knott's Landing, so that means him and Joan Van Ark were together. I was. <laughs> After this. <laughs> six, de- six degrees of separation with. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> Joan Van Ark. Uh, <laughs> and then you get um, uh, Bunta. Bunta. Yeah, good old Bunta, who is played by... Um, Luther Rackley Jr. Luther Rackley Jr., who only appeared in one other film. He appeared in The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh, which starred Dr. Julius Irving. Was the uh, critically, uh, of course, critically acclaimed, uh, I say that, I have no idea, movie about an astrology um, student who saves a, a losing basketball team by making their, them name the Pisces or something. I think I've seen that hmm. one, but I don't remember it. I remember the name. Well, it says he also and, appeared uh, in several television commercials. Don't know which ones, though. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's not exactly star-studded once you get <laughs> to them. I do also want he to say Joan Van Ark. Oh. Uh, uh, he, he had spent several years as a teacher in the White Plains, New York school system. 
Oh, so wow. My I neck of the woods. Him, uh, my old neck of the woods, you anyway. Know, he would just, maybe he would just spear the students, you know. <laughs> Mr. Buta, here's my homework. <laughs> I wonder how many kids got the attention of yelling, Buta! <laughs> <laughs> Here, Buta! Oh. <laughs> I do Buta? also want to say, uh, Joan Van Ark also was in Frogs what with Ray it? Milland and um, oh, okay. Sam Houston. Yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite, like I said, another one I watched on TBS a lot, <laughs> and one of my favorite um, uh, horror movies from the 70s, so... Uh, well, well, I had another note. Um, somebody spouted the line. I think it's the first time they see one of the points where they see the the T Rex, and some. I think Thrust calls it the the super tyrant lizard. Yeah, that's 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 know it all, Chuck. Oh, king oh, of the super like, tyrant lizards. <laughs> Do you know what you're looking at? It's the same animal that I saw with Polar Bora Five. Tyrannosaurus Rex. Sure looks impressive. Paleontologists have called them the crown of creation, the king of the super tyrant lizards. Well, that sounds real poetic. The tracks lead straight down that way. <laughs> king of the super tyrant lizards. How do you know his disposition? Why has he got to be a tyrant lizard? Why you got to go there, man? I'm assuming like, that's the Japanese translation then, of that. <laughs> and then, and then we, and I. I'm thinking we had an early, early, this might have been a, uh, well, well, I guess it wouldn't be a first appearance, but maybe a guest appearance by a, a spawn of Gamera as Joan Van Ark goes to stand yeah. on a rock and it's a turtle, it's yeah. a big giant turtle and starts to move and she's like, ah! <laughs> and then, and then she loses her purse and it's, and, and it's picked up by the cavemen purse snatchers. And yes, but they they throw it down. But of course, the cave girl wants the purse, a crocheted purse, because all girls in the seventies, whether they were you know from civilization or not, knew the value of a crocheted purse. Yes, unfortunately, she wears it around her neck, <laughs> and it's a handbag. But hey, that what what are you gonna do? Uh, and and you gotta love the very very western idea of all of the primitive uh, caveman tribe being played by Japanese actors with a lot of body hair. I don't know if that's it's it's funny, kind yeah, of racist, know, but just... still funny, you know. <laughs> uh. And Hazel, good old Hazel. I, I, you know, what's funny is that she, you know, she she seems really primitive, but she's pretty smart. You know, she tries first chance she gets, she tries to to mate with Mastin. You know. Oh yeah, wants yeah. to make herself the uh, you know attach herself to the alpha male. The, uh, she's she's one of the smartest ones in the in the movie. Yep. And then when the T Rex comes back and attacks uh, Joan Van Ark again, Joan Van Ark runs around and then runs between his legs and gets herself stopped in the cave. Hazel jumps in the water and swims away and is not seen again in that scene. <laughs> I know when she ran under the dinosaur, I'm like, what the hell are you doing? I expect the dinosaur to look down like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> so you don't think I can see Which, it? He kind of does. He like looks at you like, huh? huh? <laughs> oh, oh, and uh, we got, well, all the later we have a Bunta snack. Um, yeah. Er, er, early on, Bunta's up in the tree when he's scouting yeah. around, and that's when the T-Rex pops up, and he's like, how you doing? Hey. <laughs> you look kind of tasty up in that tree. Yeah. <laughs> I like it when my food comes you know, to me. It's like when we, we see the T Rex go uh, go fishing. 
Oh, that! Oh my God, that was amazing. That, that's pretty cool. That I scene mean. looked pretty. That looked pretty. I was gonna say real, but for the movie, that looked pretty real. I it, mean, it was a. It's a good effect because you know it's because he, like I said, he's he's not walking around. He's just kind of bending and moving a little bit. And you know that the, the mm-hmm. scale is good between him and the fish, and he just kind of just swallows it down. It's a really, it's a nice, nicely put together scene. Yeah, because I mean, the suits look better in the darker scenes like that, where he's in the forest, and later yeah. the scene where he actually eats Bunta is when Bunta is sneaking through the forest, <laughs> <laughs> tracking. Yes, the great Masi tracker, and then he's just. He stops, and there's like this large tree in front of him, and he looks up, and the camera shot is great because the camera pans up, and <laughs> the tree yeah. is is the is the T Rex, and the T Rex is like, "Aha, we meet again, <laughs> lunch, <laughs> no more Bunta." So, yeah, oh, see, Bunta clearly hadn't seen Jurassic Park and didn't know to stand <laughs> still, and he couldn't see you. You know, yeah. Well, and then you know, um, er, er. Early on, when Buta um, spears him, I felt a cut. I kind of felt bad for the T Rex because the T Rex is like, "Hey, <laughs> what did you do that for, man? I'm just trying to make friends." You ding dong. Oh wait, that yeah, was and he can't. And that he, was thrust line. Yeah, you ding dong. You told me. You swore to all of us that we were not going to harm the dinosaur. We were only supposed to take film and study it. You. Ding dong! We were about to get killed over there. <laughs> now, why? Do, I couldn't remember why he said that again. Grizzled it? man of the world. <laughs> Who was he yelling at? He was yelling at Chuck. Like, oh. he... <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, I know Chuck. Yeah, Chuck was always getting yelled at. You ding dong! That thing is gonna try and eat us. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, well, well, what threw me is is the big time jump because I almost. They're they're talking about the T Rex and the Doctor and that the boar is gone and the next they're in a they're in a spear fight with the locals and their clothes yeah. are all ragged and you know I'm like what the heck is going on here It's like that was a really rough twenty minutes what <laughs> it wasn't even that it was just like it was a cut yeah. scene the next thing you know and and it's later when when when, when they talk they're saying yeah they're they're getting braver over the past three weeks or months because they it's, it's actually they've they've been there for months now you know yeah and, but it, and, it's i think it's it's interesting that the timeline is purposely kind of um, um unclear because mm-hmm. chuck says it's got to be three months and frankie says no it's four months but you know Mastin had said that they were going to stop searching after 90 days and at the end of the film, obviously mm. they find them, so it's still within the ninety days. So I think it's you know it, it that's that's a pretty subtle thing there. But when you're not when when you don't have your watch, you know when you're eating yeah. when you're hungry and sleeping when you're tired, you don't know how many days it is if you don't have a calendar, or you know in our cases right. our phones to tell us what day it is. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, and, and it's it's the it's neat how they say that the locals are now mimicking them. They're making sharpen weapons they're they're getting bolder they're stealing their food you know that they're having to yep. f- f- fight the cavemen just to survive 
Yeah, that that's another thing that made me think of some, like I said, some of those other, um, you know, Lost World type movies from the the seventies. It's not just nonstop dinosaurs. Cavemen are cheaper to film than dinosaurs, so it's always mm-hmm. important to have cavemen in there to try and uh, you know pad the th- pad things out a bit. These cavemen seem I don't really want to say believable, but they seemed more in that the the fact that they seem to learn because it seems from the other movies like this that I remember the cave people were already at a certain level of development and they didn't really progress much further except maybe if somebody had brought a gun into it and then they, they would yeah. figure out how, how to use a gun you know but right. or, yeah you know these uh, unfortunately they can't uh, stand against the crossbow no well, remember, the crossbow was considered a, an illegal weapon of war back uh, during the Dark Ages, so in prehistoric time, it's like a nuclear bomb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And obviously it's dipped in some type of poison that makes that paralyzes its prey. <laughs> because as soon as he shoots him, he just stands still and straight, uh, and then falls over flat. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Like he's made out of brick. <laughs> and all the other cave guys go up and touch the bolt, and they're like, oh, they run. Yeah. I'm out of here, man. Game over. That's that. That's that's like when the one guy is the brave guy at the bar and goes and talks to the girl and gets shot down. All his buddies flee. You know, oh, it was bad juju. <laughs> <laughs> she has magic powers. <laughs> Shoot, she did. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, because I think they, you we pretty much don't see them for the rest of the movie a- after that. They're no, we just see Hazel after that. Yeah. Yeah. But um, mm-hmm. I tell you, you know, Mastin, besides making the crossbow out of the very fortuitously shaped piece of spring steel that he finds, mm-hmm. and the catapult, which I'm amazed, not not that they made the catapult, because the catapult, I can, you know, that makes a little bit more sense than the crossbow in some ways, but that he managed to get Chuck to actually help him bake the catapult, I thought that was a, a funny. Well, well, Chuck pr- probably had the engineering degree. Yeah, in addition to his geology and paleobotany degrees. Yeah. I thought it was funny when, when they were loading the rock, Mastin standing back there while Bunta and Chuck are hepped in that big ass. Yeah. Well, obviously, that rock was not as heavy as they made it out to be because you could tell they're kind of like, uh, 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 come on, guys, you yeah. put the rock in there. You know, because he's just like, careful. Like, you know, you could help, you know, ass. Well, he's in charge, you know. <laughs> The, 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 but then we don't see him actually do it, but he makes like the little smoke bombs as well. Yeah. Yeah, they had smoke bombs and. Oh, and, yeah. and it's like, well, you, I don't know, but, you know, the, the, the catapult, that, that's probably the most well known bit from the movie besides the theme song. Just for, as I said, poor rubber headed T Rex. You know. Boing. But this. <laughs> boom, you know, but this, it just uh, rolls right over the head. Yeah. And I love he's like. Whoa! What? And then he goes down, and then he's right back up. You know, <laughs> I get this, knocked this down, a... but I get up again. Mm. <laughs> this T Rex will never down. stay down. <laughs> <laughs> this this movie, I tell you, that I have a I have a list of films that that I, I would like to see. That I'm I'm per, I'm almost a hundred percent generally against remakes of genre films. This is one I would like to see remade with a decent budget and modern special effects. I was trying to think. It's funny you say that because I was thinking today while I was driving around for work and stuff. I was thinking who who would be good in a remake now? Like who who should be in? Who should be the stars of this show now? 
And of course, yeah. now that I mentioned that, I've completely forgotten who my choices were. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe, uh, do you have any that that you would think would be? I good was for just this? I was just trying to think of who I would would put in it. You know, um, I don't know because that's the thing you you need you need somebody with who's older. I but I think but who's a little ridiculous. You know, Michael Ironside as uh, Thrust. Yeah, I could see that. He's got the voice for it, certainly. And then maybe. Um, for Bunta. Hmm. <laughs> oh, you get the um, um oh what was his name? I uh Digimon Hinzu? Oh yeah, for, that's exactly who Bunta. I was thinking. I couldn't think of his name. Yeah, the guy that was in yeah. uh, 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 uh He was in in He was in Gladiator and uh Right, and he was in the second um Laura Croft movie as well, yes. I think. And then yeah. uh the Blood Diamond one. And then mm-hmm. he was in Guardians of the Galaxy too. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. he could be Bunta, and then for um, Chuck, I don't know. I don't know. Just, <laughs> just, who, I mean, the, I would have to rewrite the film so Chuck died, though. I think if uh, <laughs> I was thinking Steve that Chuck survives and ostensibly Buscemi, might I, get Frankie, Steve Buscemi. <laughs> Steve Buscemi would have to either be the smart doctor or Chuck. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, there's only one Japanese actor allowed in Hollywood, so Ken Watanabe would have to be uh, <laughs> Dr. Kawamoto. Ah, <laughs> uh, too bad good old Toshiro Mifune's not around anymore. Yeah. Uh, I always remember the scene in 1941 with Toshiro Mifune and uh, Christopher Lee and Slim Pickens. Really? Oh, yeah. And all three of them are in the scene together, and none of them are speaking the same language. <laughs> Hollywood! Oh, sorry, that that wasn't them. <laughs> well, Hollywood! That was it. That, that was it. <laughs> then he snags that compass. <laughs> and he give him, what do they give him, camera surf or something? <laughs> Plop! Drops the boot. Oh. But this is not a 1941 podcast, although that, oh. I, I, I watched that movie many a times back in the day because uh, it had uh, almost naked women in it and sexual innuendo. Yes. That as a, I think I was about ten, so I was like all over that. Yeah, yeah only oh, that was that was uh, two years after this film, because that was nineteen seventy nine. One of the mm-hmm. the three kind of big budget movies released at the end of nineteen seventy nine, which was nineteen forty one, Star Trek: The Motion Picture and The Black Hole. Because mm. we have to mention Star Trek by uh, Two True Freaks Law on the show. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, now I'm trying to think who else. Who I mean, um, Frankie's a tough one because you need. You need someone who's 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 cute, but also a little insane, and uh, you know, sure, Charlize Theron. Charlize Theron, yeah, she grew her hair out a bit, and yeah, then you need I, to get and, and then you get Adele to sing the theme song, you know, like on <laughs> the last dinosaur, you know, <laughs> and those the those stingers in the music. <laughs> Like, yeah, my my and sometimes my they, note they, for that they was just, we, I said my note for this was we paid for this musical hit and my God we're gonna use it we're gonna milk it for everything <laughs> and then they would just freeze the film so sometimes like towards the end there when they would just pause and yeah. they'd show thrust and they go and he's looking at Hazel it's 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 one of those things that 
solidifies this film not only as a film made in the late 70s but a tv film made in the late 70s so much of that what has now become the cliched aesthetic of the the 1970s made for tv movie is captured in this film you know Mm -hmm. but at the same time it has so much beyond that it's all the insanity with the dinosaurs and polar borer and uh, a giant catapult made of uh, strong vines and and logs and all that it, it just it takes that's why this film i think has has so memorable you know because it, it it's just so it's crazy but it it, it 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 in its own way it makes sense you know mm-hmm. oh how about the way chuck finds the polar borer yeah just wandering around <laughs> Wandering around, a spare rock just falls off a cliff, and he hears donk, rock on metal. <laughs> what? And then somehow That's, he gets that he, thing down there, back to the water. Uh, yeah, I like how they conveniently don't show how he, how him and Frankie got it up all the other logs, just the last one. You know? Yeah, and she's wiped out, laying in like a <laughs> hole in the ground, and he's sitting there with one one piece of wood, that last foot going, and it just. Goes, bloosh, goes out into the water. He goes, it floats! It floats! You know, he's standing in about a half a foot of water. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. maybe you should maybe assess that a little better. I don't know, roll it around a little, make sure there's no holes in it. He just assumes it's... <laughs> hey, it floats! Okay, how about you push it out in the lake a little bit, dumbass? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was very uh, impressed that the, you know, the, the dinosaur with the most powerful jaws in, in history... Picked this thing right. up very delicately didn't, and didn't puncture a hole in it or nothing. Because yeah, but not only that, he picked it up. He th- didn't he throw it too in, in his mouth. He like threw yeah, it and he tossed and then he, it down the hill. And then he smacks it. You know, he's like, yeah, get in there, get in there, come on. Yeah, I'll, I'll, they're never gonna get out of here. Yeah, huh? Because when he first finds it, he's he's smacking it with his foot like. Oh man, this thing won't stay down. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm, this is mine now because I'm the yes. I'm the super tired dinosaur. Screw you dinosaur. guys! <laughs> Screw you guys! I'm taking this home. <laughs> Find your <ace> keepers. <laughs> Respect my authority. <laughs> but I'm sorry, I cut cut you off when you were saying more about the movie. With um, I forget where I was at now, but uh, you know the, the thing about like I said, it, it's it. The film it, it it holds up because it has its own kind of internal logic, and I think it's got a novel story hook. Even if yeah, okay, it's a bit cliche. I, the one I say all the time is you know when I'm when I'm talking about like Doctor Who is well, who are the real monsters? You know, and mm-hmm. it's like well, who was the real last dinosaur? And it's like okay, fine, you know that that it's it's not a, a super deep uh, you know uh, a story hook, but it's actually a story hook. It's not just you know hey, let's remake the Lost World or. You know, let's let's just uh, you know just parade a bunch of dinosaurs out here for for ninety minutes. You know, it, it actually has it doesn't have much to say, but it's something. So I, you know, I, that I, that mm-hmm. I appreciate, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's uh, held on in the uh, people remember it to the point that now uh, the film is actually available on DVD. It's part of the um, the Warner Archive collection, which is Warner Brothers print on demand service. So it's just a bare bones DVD, but you can get the um, the uh, unedited theatrical version of the last dinosaur on DVD. You just go to twotruefreaks.com, click on the Amazon.com link, and you can pick it up. It's pretty pretty swank. Yeah, the one I watched was the uh, this the one I, I watched was 106 minutes, so I don't think that's yes, the... that is the unedited version. The uh, the theatrical quote unquote theatrical. This film was supposed to be released um, theatrically in the United States. 
but that was scrapped kind of at the last minute, and they instead went with uh, the TV release. The TV release, some, some in, in some, I think an original airing was 95 minutes, and then the one that finally become, found its way, like on a TBS and syndication, was 92 minutes. But the 106-minute version is the uncut theatrical version, and that is the one that's on DVD. I don't think there's any major cuts. I think a lot of it is um, uh, just little cuts here and there for pasting. Pasting. For pacing. Excuse me. Pacing? <laughs> yeah. For pasting. They're cutting and pasting this movie together. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that's why I think it had so many has has so many fond memories for people out there just from seeing it on TV and this you know crazy movie with Richard Boone and Joan Van Ark well, and a Tyrannosaurus. You know, until you had brought it back up to my mind and made me think about it, every now and then you you just think of things. You know, did I really see Richard Boone hunting a dinosaur? Nah, I must have. <laughs> that couldn't have been real. You know, <laughs> just like the Bermuda Depths movie is like is Connie Selica. Carl Weathers and this other I can't I don't remember who the other male lead is but it's a story with uh, two kids and they find a sea turtle but then it's like towards the end of the movie the sea turtle's like gigantic huge and I think I remember Carl Weathers like uh, Moby Dick style like pinned to the side of the shell as the turtle's swimming underwater because he's hunting the giant sea turtle I don't know I, I don't it's see that's I haven't seen that in the longest time so I that is all real fuzzy in in my head. And uh, what what's also see, I don't know that I I want to say I've seen that one, but it's been decades since I've seen that because I have such vague memories of it. Mm-hmm. But there's there's a lot of movies like that that I have like, just strange, like Killer Fish. I don't know if you remember that one mm-hmm. with the piranhas in the Bermuda Triangle and in <laughs> the, the the treasure, uh-huh. the buried the, the treasure under the sea. Uh, so I, I mean, that, you know, the, you see all these movies, especially growing up like I did in the '80s, where you know the TBSs and USAs of this world had to fill up time, and so you'd see these movies all the time. You know, like um, mm-hmm. what was it, The Great Alligator? That was a that that crazy Thai alligator movie, or Razorback, or uh, Strays. Oh. One about the evil cats. I don't know if you remember that one. That was on USA a lot. <laughs> or uh, yeah, the Killer Bee, or the, not that the. What was it the kill? Was it the killer bees? The one at the end where the actress is is screaming the, to the to the Congress. They have to listen to what the bees are saying. Well, I remember you and I talk, talked about the swarm, right? Was not the one with the Michael s- Caine? Yes. Or, there is no bee. There is no bee. <laughs> oh God! Fred the McMurray bees. is also oh. in that movie. <laughs> the bees, bees, millions of bees. Fred McMurray, Fred Olivia McMurray. De Havilland. I mean, this, it's it's a it's a it's an all star cast of people past their prime in this one. Tolly, now tell me, where's the boys? <laughs> Steve, these kids, these bees are freaking everywhere. Steve, <laughs> <laughs> directed by Erwin Allen. Erwin Allen. Erwin uh, Allen, yes, who I... directed uh, the remake of The Lost World. <laughs> it all comes full circle. And didn't Erwin Allen also do um, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, which you and I brought up a little bit ago? Yes, he did. Yes, did do Voyage at the Bottom of the Sea with. Uh, now it depends. Are we? You know, it, it it depends whether you're talking about Walter Pigeon or, or Richard, Richard Basehart. Yeah. yeah. Well, they were both good. <laughs> They're both pretty. Awesome. I mean, I mean, not not to turn this into a Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea cast, but uh, which which is uh, maybe stay we tuned. should. Yeah, maybe stay we should. tuned. That's all I got to say <laughs> about that. But the scene that I always love in the the theatrical uh, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, okay. 
Admiral Nelson goes to the UN to discuss the fact that the Van Allen belt has caught on fire. I, I, I know what you're thinking. Luke, that doesn't make sense. Stick with it, okay? So the Van Allen belt's on fire, and they go to the UN to discuss it. And so it's um, Walter Pigeon as uh, the Admiral, and they've got, you know, Peter Lorre there as his Commodore, who's like a super genius smart guy. Okay, and they've got their plan, and the, the obviously foreign uh, scientist guy doesn't like it, and none of the UN delegates like it. And so I will forever love this movie mm-hmm. because Admiral Nelson just says, I only answer to the President of the United States, I'm doing whatever I want, gets up and walks out. <laughs> yeah. And then they go down to the pier, they get in the sub, and the the like the UN the MP- cops or the guards are, are on the sub, and he's like, dive. <laughs> but they're on the sub. They, I don't care. <laughs> you see the guys tread water. They're like, oh my god. Oh. <laughs> and then the then the quote unquote United Nations subs chase them. I was going to say if you like the scene of the UN subs chasing them, uh, don't worry, you'll see it again in the <laughs> first couple episodes again of the series. So. And again, <laughs> you you know you think them guys would know what their crush depth is in those submarines. You know, I will say D- David Hedison is is much better than um, oh I can't even remember the dude's name who played him in the who played uh, the captain I, in the movie I, I can't remember either Ugh. and I don't even think they had an a- analog for uh, for Peter Lorre in they did the not show. have a they did not have an analog for Peter Lorre and they did not have an analog for um, Barbara Eden Barbara Eden yeah because there's there's no right. regular female. Um, Robert Sterling was Captain Crane in the in the movie. Yeah, but they, they didn't have an analog for Barbara Eden, which is which is kind of unfortunate because Barbara Eden could have come back and played Barbara Eden. You know that would have been, <laughs> yeah. I'd have been okay with that. You yeah. know. And then uh, they also had uh, Michael Ansara was. Um, yeah, Michael. He, he was the uh, the he was the, the guy they picked guy. up. Yeah. yeah, the guy they pick up. So th- there's another Star Trek connection right there. Wasn't Michael Ansara on Star Trek? Yes, because he was in the original Star Trek, and then he was in Deep Space Nine, where he, he reprised the role of the of the Klingon of Kang. Kang, yeah, yeah. Michael Ansara also was on Buck Rogers he, in the twenty fifth century. He played Kane. Oh yes, and he was on uh, Babylon Five as one of the. The wait, yes, he was on Babylon Five as one of the Techno Mages. Yeah, and um, I know he's done some voice acting too. He played Mister um, Freeze in Batman the Animated Series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is the most yeah, ma- well-known a... portrayal of Mister Freeze ever. So <laughs> <laughs> it all yeah, comes he, back. He did a lot of of the TV movie fair in the seventies as well. I think I remember a movie called The Manitou. Manitou, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, memory oh, lane. That, and, Memories. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm I'm gonna I'm putting a link into the uh, he oh actually one last thing Michael Ansar was also in Assassination, which starred Charles Bronson, okay, and um, um, what's his name who played um, Chuck, played Charles Bronson's son in Death Wish. We gotta let the police take care of this, Dad. You know, what if they can't take care of it? We can do that. <laughs> I was shot the Simpsons one. I should, yeah. which Charles Bronson was on. Was Ed Sheriff Andy Taylor? <laughs> what hey, happened? To- <laughs> what happened to Otis? I shot him. <laughs> I'm heading down to Emmett's Fix It Shop to fix Emmett. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm put I'm putting a link in here. I want to show you this um, uh, for the for the, uh, the to celebrate when 
um, Last Dinosaur was released in uh, on DVD in Japan. Um, they put out M M one is a they oh, very co- toy neat. company that's been around for a long long time in Japan. They did vinyls all through the uh, the sixties and and seventies into today. So this was a a special uh, release of the the M one Last Dinosaur of the Tyrannosaurus with the polar borer. I, nice. I don't know how the he- how in the heck I'd find one of these since these are exceptionally rare. But man, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the um, there's a picture of uh, Hazel there as well. Did she go on to do more things in um, in not, Japan? Not she did a few things. I, I looked up her um, and I don't have her name right here in front of me. She did a few TV series. It looks like she didn't do a lot of genre work. Um, she did some police procedural, which were very popular in Japan in the seventies. The police seventies uh, and eighties, the police shows. She did that. She did a couple of comedies. Not a lot of credits listed for her, so I don't think she really did a whole lot. But she she did some stuff here and there. This is the one she's best known for, I would imagine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, I guess we've have we. Yeah, I, th- I mean we, we 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 we've I think we've we've covered the last dinosaur here. But let me uh, throw it to you. so any any uh, little. Closing thoughts on the last dinosaur? No, no, it's uh, uh, other than uh, you know, Buddha. <laughs> or I'm always wondering where my golden bullet is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, like I said, it, uh, I agree with you. This brought back a lot of memories rewatching this film for me because, like I said, I, I may not have been there when it aired originally, but I this is one that was always kind of around in my childhood. Like I said, I paired up with frogs and the green slime as just ones that i and empire of the ants that was another one uh <laughs> that i saw a lot on oh, tv oh no go ahead uh i saw a movie the other night i thought of you although it doesn't fit into this to you or not i i watched night of the lupus night of the lupus <laughs> <laughs> i caught i came in the last 45 minutes of of the movie and my both my daughters were out there with me and I was just flipping through, and I came by AMC, and all of a sudden it says Night of the Lupus, and there's just these giant. Okay, there's these normal sized rabbits <laughs> on, a, on a miniature set, and they've filmed the rabbits in slow motion, and they're making this <laughs> noise as as they run in slow motion, and then one jumps through a window and now it's a giant rabbit mock-up and it's chewing at this woman's face and rips her throat out and I'm like, oh my god this is great (laughs) and my daughter looks up from her phone and goes, what is that and it had DeForest Kelly in it DeForest Kelly yes, Yes. DeForest Kelly and Janet Lee yes, and Janet Lee and there was another there was two other uh Guys from Westerns in it. I can't well, Stuart, remember who it was, but I say Stuart Whitman is in it, yes. isn't he? Yes. And, and, and um, I don't, I don't remember who the other guy was. I remember, I remember Whitman and Lee and DeForest Kelly being in it. <laughs> yeah, and De, DeForest Kelly has like a little, a little neck bandana on, and <laughs> and and they end up getting all the cars from a local drive-in, and they line them up to kind of corral the rabbits as they're running. <laughs> into the town. I mean, there's hundreds, <laughs> hundreds, maybe a thousand or so rabbits and are running. Tell me again about the to... giant rabbits, George. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I was so sad that I didn't catch the movie from the beginning because I don't know how the giant rabbits were made, but I guess they had held up in mines 
and and I don't know if there was radiation testing, but okay, the way they kill the rabbit, kill the rabbit, kill the rabbit, <laughs> is they they take the local power lines, and they've got to wait for a train to come through town first. And once the train is off, they can switch the track, and they take the power line, and they hook it to the track, and they force the rabbits across the railroad track because the rabbits can't jump it or something. <laughs> I'm like, what? So they they electrocuted all the rabbits on the rail. Oh, it it was crazy. But, you know, there's there's another there's another Star Trek tie into giant creature. Movies and I, I believe William Shatner was in Kingdom of the Spiders. I Kingdom think of the Spiders, yes, he was. The Joan now, that's Collins? not giant monsters. That's just Joan Collins. I believe was in Kingdom of the Spiders. That that doesn't have any giant monsters. That just has. Well, it has, well, it has okay. It has big creatures. It also has one of my. Well, um, wait a minute. Or favorite... were they were they normal sized? Were they? They normal were normal sized, sized spiders. spiders. Yeah. Oh, there was just a ton of them. There's a ton that's of them. Okay. Uh, it does have one of my favorite scenes ever from a film in um, uh, Kingdom of the Spiders where the spider is crawling on the guy's hand and his solution is to pick up his gun and shoot his hand off. (laughs) I I would like to reiterate that I am in fact not making this up. That's just cutting your nose off to spite your face. (laughs) I'm going to shoot my hand off to spite my arm. Oh, man. But, uh, you know, that's... Well, the spider didn't get me, but I bled to death. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this was no boating accident. This was a spider. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, oh man! But um, yeah. So my my recommendation is, uh, you know, um, you you can find this one online if you look. It, it used to be on YouTube, but it's not anymore. But you we you can find it online if you look. Give it a, if this brings back pleasant memories for you. I would totally recommend. You know, like I said, going to Amazon via the Two True Freaks link and, and picking this up on on DVD because it's it's a lot of fun, and it's um, it's just a crazy evening's entertainment. But it's it's it but it's not just it's not just ridiculous. I, I still think the story holds up quite a bit. And you know, I, I was thinking this. Uh, I mentioned Land That Time Forgot before. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but um, you know, in the '70s into the '80s, Marvel would sometimes do the movie adaptations in the black and white magazines, the oversize format mm-hmm. yeah. and i have the magazine i have since i was a kid of the land that time forgot and i was thinking man how freaking cool would this be as like a 60 page black and white oversized marvel magazine you know hmm. where the, where the, where you didn't have to worry about you know the effects or anything just tell the story how cool would that have been you know yeah, with like I'm thinking like um, I don't know like the, the the Severins or Mike Plug doing the art that'd have been fantastic. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so totally. Um, uh, like I said, if if you have any fond memories of this, I totally recommend picking it up because it holds up. It's still a blast, and you got Richard Boone just yelling indiscriminately for for about ninety minutes at a running length. So, <laughs> you ding dong, you ding dong. Uh, Dr. Bill, I want to thank you very much for coming on, and uh, why don't you tell the good folks out there in podcast land where else they can find you on the internet? Oh, uh, well, you can find me usually on Back to the Bins with my buddy Paul Spataro and Scott Gardner um, and guest stars as they come around. Uh, I can also be found... Well, we also do Avengers Spotlight um, about every 
once a month or once every three months or as we get around to recording one, which that's a subsidiary of Back to the Bins. Also, I am usually on Walking Dead Wednesday with Sean Nagel and Chris Honeywell. And Gene Hendricks and I also record Anime Freaks, which covers anime. Uh, and you've actually been on that with us. We Right now, we're still covering... Yes. Uh, we've just got back to Star Blazers. And we'll have another mm-hmm. episode of that coming out next month. We'll, we'll have a guest star with us then. Yeah. And also, the uh, I think the last one I am on uh, right now uh, is, is, is a new one that just started with Scott McGregor and I. And we are... We call that No Consoles for Old Men, which we basically pine about old video games and what what we used to play and what we're actually playing now. And the last one we just did was a show with Sean Angle, which this isn't out yet, but it will be. Uh, Sean Angle was with us, and we covered our love of Star Trek games in honor of uh, Leonard Nimoy's passing. Yeah. So that's pretty much it. Yeah, all, all good stuff. Back to the Bins remains probably my favorite podcast. I abs- the and and you'll notice that I didn't get I didn't I didn't give you any grief tonight because I know that's you know they give you a lot of grief over on Back to the Bins, <laughs> but you're always welcome here on Earth Destruction Directive. Not not as and not as the comedy sidekick. So, <laughs> all right. Well, I um as for Earth Destruction Directive. Uh, coming up next time on the show, we are going to be taking a look. We're going back into the Godzilla series. We're going into the Heisei films from the 90s. And the uh, next Heisei mm-hmm. film in line is from 1993, and it is Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. And this is the, uh, the Mechagodzilla 2, as they sometimes call it. I'll get into that whole confusion when we actually cover the movie. Um, and then we're also got the next issue of Marvel Shogun Warriors, which... It promises to be more uh, more involved than the previous one. This one is apparently involving uh, a chaos war of some kind. I'm not sure exactly what that entails, because I have not read the issue yet. Uh, but we're going to be, like I said, we got Godzilla vs. Mechgodzilla, which also features Rodan, so that's always a treat. And the next issue is Shogun Warriors. So, um, until then, you know, keep them stomping, and say goodnight, Bill. Goodnight, Bill.
This has been Earth Destruction Directive, a Dai Kaiju podcast, produced and created by me, Luke Giaconetti, as part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, available at twotruefreaks.com. This is a fan work celebrating the history and culture of Japanese giant monsters. All movies, TV shows, comic books, characters, and other intellectual property is copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. If you'd like to send an email to the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I respond to all emails, and if you send in some comments, I'll read them on the show. All episodes of Earth Destruction Directive can be found at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find the show on iTunes. Just search for Earth Destruction Directive. You can even leave an iTunes review if you want. You can get in touch with the show on Facebook. Just search for Earth Destruction as the first name and Directive as the last name. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter with the handle LJacone. That's L-J-A-C-O-N-E. And if you want to buy something discussed on the show, head on over to twotruefreaks.com and click on the Amazon.com link on the front page. Any items you buy during your session on Amazon.com will help keep the lights on, and it won't cost you anything extra. Thanks for listening, and be sure to come back next time for more city-stomping fun on Earth Destruction Directive. Well, it's big and terrible. More frightening than I ever thought possible. Oh, I can't believe I didn't make a Barney joke. <laughs> Barney the dinosaur, because because he calls that one guy at the press conference Barney. Yeah, Barney. It's his, that's his manager. Yeah. Yeah. Barney. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, is that I mean, I can understand why people do that, but a lot of times when I'm listening at work, I'm only listening with one earbud. Well, that's the same thing I do. Yeah, I, I only so have that's, one I, earbud. That's why I, I, just put... I, I cut. <laughs> I cut the other one off. So I, I, I literally only have one because I don't want to have both in, just for just for safety. See, if we didn't know we were talking so about earbuds, even... this conversation might take on a whole different <laughs> dynamic. Hi, I cut one off. Yeah. <laughs> As it is, I'm going to have to, you know, do like, um, you know, do a cafe press or I got Jack and Eddie, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Jack and Eddie. I know, and, and it'll be it'll be a like it'll be just like it was for the podcast, where it was the uh, the picture of the lime that said "100 percent juice, no seeds." <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, right. Skype says your internet connection is slow. I'm like, I don't really think that's correct, but hey, that's not a nice thing to say. <laughs> You're ugly. So what, what? You want to do a Voyage in the Bottom of the Sea cast, or just or just do the movie? <laughs> <laughs> I well, that that was the joke I had was that it's like okay, what what's another? I said it has it was a it was a, a science fiction TV show that was you know long running that also had a comic book and other tie in media. It's like that's Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, <laughs> and I found a site online that had all the episodes up. Wow, like really? for free. Yeah, let's see if I can find it real quick. Oh. Yeah, well, because I think I told, did I tell you about one that I found, um, I was going through stuff and somehow there was one, there was a link to one that had Spanish subtitles, but it was in English 
and it was an episode I'd never seen before about a returned. Mm. Yes, it was about it was about the Nazi captain, but there there had been one before that with him on it. But this is where he comes back and he actually gets the admiral to to kill Lee and takes over his body. And I had never seen this one before, and and I was like, oh wow, Lee. there you go. And that's that's all of them. And the movie, too. And actually, what's funny is, if you search on this site, this site's also got, like, Land of the Giants, and I think it's got the Time Tunnel. And You know, I've never seen Land of the Giants or the Time Tunnel. I've ne- I've seen a few episodes of the Time Tunnel. I've seen more Land of the Giants. I, I In my mind, Time Tunnel always gets matched up with Space 1999, because I think they used to be on back-to-back on Sci-Fi Channel. Mm. Can't get two more different shows, but... <laughs> wow, these are... Oh, they're not exactly in order, but no, you do got to you got to control F, but they're all there, I think. Huh? Season one, season one, episode thirty-two. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, there's definitely a ton here. You see, as you scroll down, they eventually get into color. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, but then you you keep going and they switch back to black and white and then you're back in season one yeah so I, like it's, I said I, I think it's weird. all of them but I don't I'm not sure I didn't actually count them all I don't know it looks like there should be more but hey this is a lot of it's them. a lot of them yeah it's a start yeah. <laughs> do 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 Yes, Voyage of the Bottom Sea. It made me, made me uh, want to go in the Navy. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I'm sure you thought you'd be fighting giant squids and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the flying sub? Yeah. I want a flying sub. I want windows on the front of my submarine. <laughs> I want a big glass window on the front of my submarine <laughs> so we can see the minefield as we drive into it. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. You know, to talk about Irwin Allen, that's, I'll, I'll, let me just tell this one anecdote and then I'll let you go. Um, you know, that there's a story that goes on, um, you know, Lost in Space was, you know, and st- they always talk about in Star Trek that Roddenberry was always fighting to do different things from story-wise or do this or do that. Irwin Allen was always fighting to keep the budget as low as possible on Lost in Space. That was his main goal with the show. And so the story goes that one day for an episode, an early episode of Lost in Space, they brought him what the number was going to be in order to design and pull off the effect of the alien of the week having a spaceship and having the spaceship land, the alien walk out of it. So they told the number to Irwin Mm -hmm. Allen, and apparently he stopped for a second, he paused, he thought, and he said, let him walk! (laughs) All right, well, before a drone strike hits our house, I better (laughs) go. All right, so uh, you... uh, that that or a Google package, one or the other. Yes. <laughs> is it is it a drone strike carrying a a, a, hell, a Hellfire missile, or is it the stuff I ordered from Amazon? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm afraid to answer the door. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just a dolphin, ma'am. Oh, okay. And then man shark. Oh, come uh, on candy in. Candy gram, oh. man. <laughs> candy gram. Two true freaks. What? All right. <laughs> <laughs> His name is Bunta. 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 Bunta.
Bunte. 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 